I, we were joking that uh, you know, there's no breakfast at PDC this year, right? And so we were joking that actually Sanofsky should have had a picture of the laptop with like bacon and eggs on it, right? <laughs> like here's your breakfast, exactly. right? You know. Welcome to Pixelate Radio on the web at getpixelated.com. Now, here's your host, Craig Shoemaker. Hey, welcome back to Pixelate, and today we're talking all about Silverlight. Now, at PDC, we thought we might hear a little bit about the new features of Silverlight 3, but instead they gave us an entirely new beta release of Silverlight 4. On today's show, we're talking to Tim Hewer and Jesse Liberty, who will give us their individual takes on Silverlight 4, as well as some general programming principles around Silverlight. For show notes, please head on over to getpixelated.com for all the links and resources. Now, the good news is both Jesse and Tim were kind enough to come and spend uh, some time with me, and so I have some full-length interviews here with both the guys in this one show. So I'm going to go ahead and get out of your way, and let's start first with Tim, where he can tell us what he's excited about, about what happened at the show. So here we are with Tim Hewer, and I guess the first thing I just want to ask you about is what excites you, like all the announcements and everything that's come up, what's hot on your plate right now? Well, obviously, Silverlight 4 is uh, probably the most exciting for me personally because that's the area that I've been focused on. There has been an incredible amount of things that I actually was not aware of, though, in the day oh. one keynote and, you know, a lot of the, the different Azure stuff that I've kind of been blind to a little bit, to be honest. Um, it's actually quite cool to see some of the things in practice. And, you know, you can make fun of the ICANN has cheeseburger network all you want, but when you look at the scale of those numbers, that's a pretty successful uh, story there. So I think the totality of the kind of the web platform and where we're going and um, is very exciting. Uh, but yeah, of course, the Silverlight 4 announcements uh, today um, uh, with Scott's keynote is uh, the most exciting and being able to finally come clean about where we are, um, give some things to developers to actually start playing around with and start getting feedback on that beta as well to see, you know, did we get it right is I think the most important thing for me. So when, when you're talking about being in the loop on some of these things, like, did you guys know about the laptops that were being given away? No, we did not. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, aside from all the, you know, the two codename projects that I didn't even know about. Um, <laughs> yeah, the laptop, it was funny, I was, I was actually backstage, and uh, when they were showing all the laptop, the netbooks for Windows 7 and, and things, I, said, I was thinking to myself, I think it's time for I think it's time for me to get a netbook. I love, I'm looking I, around this I, wide screen. I saw your tweet on that. Yes, yeah. and... and uh, you know, it was like, before I could complete my sentence, we kind of heard Steve Sanofsky <laughs> say something, and everyone kind of stopped and turned around, you know, looked at the, the screen in the back, and did he just say free? And it sounded like the audience kind of paused a little bit to say, like, did we just hear that correctly, yeah. you know? And so, no, uh, I had no idea. That was actually, that's probably the best-kept secret of PDC. I, we were joking that, uh, you know, there's no breakfast at PDC this year, right? And so we were joking that actually Sanofsky should have had a picture of the laptop with like bacon and eggs on it, right? <laughs> like here's your breakfast, exactly. right? You know. So uh, no, that th I think that was I think it was a, a the right thing for Microsoft to do at the right time for Windows. Um, people that haven't had an opportunity to, to, to try Windows or Windows 7 are really missing out. Um, it's phenomenal, and I think the excitement that we're seeing walking around this floor of people carrying these laptops, and uh, I, I think it's great. It's great to get this in people's hands, and uh, it's, it looks like a great piece of hardware on top of that, too. I'm very jealous. I don't get one, so yeah. <laughs> well, and also just to have a, a multi-touch PC to, to play with, because it might be a while before people can afford to buy one themselves, too. 
Absolutely, yeah. A, a true multi-touch with um, you know more than just a, you know the infrared two touch points and you know, being able to really leverage the power of Windows 7 and WPF applications and um, as well as in Silverlight multi-touch support um, and taking advantage of that. Yeah, I think it's uh, it, it, for people that have not experienced that in their personal experience of, of um, interacting with computers. You know, this this will be their chance to even not only as a developer to see like what can I do with multi-touch, but also how I as a consumer what might use multi-touch. All right, well, we got to stop making all the uh, the other people jealous who, <laughs> who weren't here. But so, so let's talk about Silverlight 4. Um, from your perspective, what, what are you most excited about as uh, some of the new features that are available? I think um, the first thing that I'm really excited about is the fact that all the features that the kind of the top features we talked about and released um, were a direct result of customer feedback. Um, I think that's really important to highlight that you know the team listened. There was things, of course, that we knew that we needed to get done from Silverlight three to four, uh, but also a lot of it was driven by customer feedback. So, you know, in and of itself, that's exciting to me to see Microsoft listen to customers, listen to developers, and implement those technologies. Um, I think for, with version four, uh, the application, you know, kind of the bucket that we put things in application development are probably the most exciting for uh, for me as far as enabling not only the rich experiences, but being able to uh, give developers the tools that they've been asking for to develop uh, applications in the patterns that they may have been choosing, as well as kind of filling some gaps in between uh, the compatibility between um, Silverlight and WPF. Uh, so like commands is a perfect example. That's kind of like the, the one thing that WPF <laughs> developers always point to Silverlight. You need commands. Uh, so implementing support for iCommand uh, and command and command parameter on, on button base uh, helps not only just to have that feature, but it's an enforcement of the presentation model or the view model development pattern. Um, so people going along that path, which I do, I do believe is probably the most popular pattern for XAML development. Um, and this, this really helps enable Silverlight developers continue to use that pattern in the way that they want to use it and not have to put things in the view um, that, that you know, the purists might not want to be in the view. So is the, the, on the slide it said there was support for MVVM. Is it basically just commanding or is there more to it on top of that? Uh, there's, there's a little bit more to it. So commands, is it, I think, is a big part of it. Um, data binding to dependency objects is, uh, is I think, another part of it. Um, other enhancements in data binding, um, even just really simple things like um, string format in data binding. Uh, if you think about it, if you've ever had to do data binding to uh, a, you know a, a number format for currency or a date, you know for that matter, uh, usually that's oh, you've always been writing code as you know a value converter and things. And so, being able to just have you know string format as a part of the binding syntax without writing any code, without actually adding something to your view model or another resource or something like that. Um, I think is is extremely helpful. When there's a lot of other things that are, I mean, the the printing and the copy and paste and and one of the things that I think was funny that kind of the reaction I was I was sort of getting from the crowd was, I mean, there's there's even I/O supports and a lot of the out of the browser stuff. So it's like the the window between WPF and Silverlight is getting smaller and smaller. Um, where do you see that going? I mean, basically the, the question some people are asking is, you know, well, what, what am I going to need to use WPF for? Sure, I, and I think it's not necessarily fair to knock WPF um, at all. I think the, the challenge has been, uh, Silver, I actually think Silverlight has been good for WPF. Uh, people getting into Silverlight have realized now what they may have been missing in creating client applications in WPF. Um, certainly, 
WPF provides much more capabilities than Silverlight does at this point. I mean, frankly, it, it, it is the full .NET framework. It's usually a completely full trust environment. Um, those two things alone should tell you the fundamental differences of what you can and can't do um, in, in WPF versus Silverlight. So I think um, when, whenever I talk to people about, you know, which choice do I make now, that seems to be the question. I, the, maybe the line is getting grayer, so which choice, where do I go for, to start? And, and I always say, you know, what, if, if your target is Windows and you control that target, you should start with WPF. You know, you should really start with the, the full richness of capabilities and do everything you can to possibly rule it out rather than try to make the decision, you know, not to w use WPF or something like that. Um, you know, Silverlight is, is about cross-platform is, is one big difference of it. It is about reach um, as far as in your, your uh, client targets of where you're trying to go at and it's a, it's definitely a little bit more lightweight so you know if you there, like I said there's still a lot that's not available in, in Silverlight where it's going into the future I, I don't know I mean I think you know three five years down the road we'll, we'll see what happens at that point the teams are you know from a Silverlight perspective let's say we want to implement feature X you know we will first look to WPF and say is it there if it is how is it implemented and in that manner of it, of how it's implemented, is that something that we can directly, you know, take into Silverlight? Because we do want to be compatible. Any new things that we do, we're making every effort to make sure we're compatible with WPF to make sure that that, that code investment that you're making as a developer um, can be made across multiple platforms. Well, and, and even like you're saying, Silverlight being a proponent and, and a win for, for WPF, it's almost like really the real winner is XAML and certain things that like you're saying are, are specifically tailored to need to be on the client or on the web, especially now that there's the, the compilation limitation has been lifted. You know, as long as you're writing XAML, as long as you're in that area, then you're, you're going to be able to use those skills any way you go. Absolutely. Uh, I think, th actually, I couldn't have said it better, like XAML's the real winner here. And the irony is the WPF developers from, you know, .NET 3 on are, are the ones getting the last laugh here. You know, like, <laughs> hey, we've known this all along, right? You know, here's this good UI model and, and declarative model and, and how it enables, again, like, you know, presentation model development and things like that. So, yeah, absolutely. XAML is the real winner here, uh, regardless of what features get implemented in either aspect. So you kind of spend your time thinking about architecture and how the systems are, are put together. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're seeing of maybe areas that people need to focus on or maybe some common pitfalls or some advice about how people can approach development in, a re in the real world for, for Silverlight? Sure. I think, you know, we, we've said this term so, several times already so far. I think from a, a development pattern approach, it, it appears ViewModel has won. Um, you know, I'm not saying that declaratively, but it, if you look at the the kind of luminaries in the XAML development world, everyone is adopting the view model pattern. So I would say, as a developer, if you have not looked at that, you should. It may not be for everybody. It isn't for everybody, but that's definitely something that you should look at, be familiar with. You know, if you especially if you're a consultant, you never know which projects you're going into <laughs> that you may have to understand code. So uh, first and foremost, you know, invest some time in learning the view model pattern. I'm not saying you have to implement it. Invest in learning it, and there's several several areas you can do that. Uh, the second thing is, you know, as a result of that, a lot of these frameworks are popping up. Uh, probably some key buzzwords are, are uh, Prism, is probably the biggest one, or composite applications. And some, as far as a pitfall is concerned, I think. I think people look at Prism and immediately associate 
that only with model view, view model. And I think, number one, that's a big pitfall. Prism is not just about presentation model. And in fact, I don't believe even that that's its biggest strength uh, from my perspective. Prism is about building modular, or one aspect I think is a larger aspect, is it's about building modular and composite applications. So that's something that you have to know about building XAML applications is, you know, how am I building a monolithic, you know, F5 and I get one giant zap, you know, that's probably not the best thing to do. So understanding a, a composite model, uh, you know, or a lot of people refer to it as partitioning your application, right? Making the lightest weight startup as possible and taking a modular approach to your different things. Prism is one solution for that. Um, MEF, the Managed Extensibility Framework, um, has come a long way from its kind of V1 days, and that's shipping in Silverlight 4 as well. So being able to take advantage of MEF for uh, an extensibility framework, and, and, and dare I say, MEF could be used as a composition model as well. So um, I think those are kind of uh, the three things that I would point to is, you know, un understand view model, um, understand composite or modular applications, and understand how you're going to extend your application, whether that's through MEF or, or whether that's, you know, wh what are your extensibility points that, that you want to do. Um, there's a lot of frameworks to learn out there, you know, I've just mentioned a couple of them, uh, but everyone's, you know, uh, I think uh, one of the MVVM guys says, you know, every, every 10 minutes a new MVVM framework is born, <laughs> so, uh, you know, pick your flavor, pick what you're comfortable with, um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, you got to pick the best tools for you as a developer for the for the job. One of the things that I saw on your blog was this this concept of people build applications. Basically, they maybe they get it finished, and they just in the last stretch they just want to make things pretty. And and you kind of riffed on that a little bit, but I want to give you a chance to to kind of go into that some more. I, I think in in concept, people kind of understand that that might be a problem. But where where does that stem from, and where do you take that? This whole paradigm of this designer developer workflow that we talk about, this is this is new for .NET developers and for application developers, right? I, I think. And so the involvement of design in the development iteration process, I think, is new for most organizations. And when you hear the word design, a typical geek, a coder, a developer, uh, thinks really only as design as you know a color palette, you know, make my rounded corners and gradients and. I, I kept on hearing those comments of, yeah, you know, we'll, and then we'll involve a designer and make it pretty, you know, this term of, of pretty. And, it, I, you know, I, I have a lot of designer. I'm not a designer. Uh, I, I consider myself one who appreciates good design, but I cannot execute it, right? So uh, that's, you know, it's, it's a skill. It's an art form, and it's something that I don't possess. But I have a lot of designer friends, and every time I hear someone say, oh, we need to have somebody make it pretty, I can't help but think that's offensive to them. You know, the, these these pe are people that have a skill, and yeah, I made this blog post of you know, what if somebody referred to you, a senior developer doing MVVM and Prism, as you know, hey Tim, we need you to finish this macro, you know, and no offense to macro developers, but I mean, just trying to right. create some type of, of paradigm there or uh, um, analogy there, and you know, I I would be offend offended if you know, as a senior developer, if someone thought all I did was an, an Excel formula, right? And that's the kind of what I was trying to draw is that. As developers, we have to understand that this is an important skill. We can we can program the best algorithm behind that button click or whatever, but if the user is not in the you know experiencing the application or or we're not providing a usable platform into the, the view of the data or the interactivity of the game or whatever it is, that algorithm means nothing. So the importance of, of user experience can you know cannot be 
undervalued. I mean, you can't put a price on it, I don't think. You know, you, you make $100,000 in investment in an application, but if nobody moves past the, the splash screen because they don't understand things or, you know, the information is not presented in a logical manner, that investment is lost completely, 100%. So, you know, you know my, my whole concept of, you know, developers, please stop saying make it pretty and please at least understand what a designer is um, and and work with them, right? A designer is, there, there are designers that just make things pretty. You know, those are generally... Uh, you know, and I'll probably be offending someone here, but you know, probably what I would consider more artists versus you know, uh, but but I think it's a lot more than that. It's not about just picking a color palette and, and handing it off to somebody. It's about putting the application, putting the data in a manner that um, users are going to interact well with it. Doing usability studies, um, I, I think every developer should should find some way to sit in in a usability study. Uh, and just sit behind the two-way mirror and, and, and look at things or, or watch the eye-tracking software, you know, to see how people are looking at websites and looking at applications and where they're focusing their time and things like that. It's, it really is amazing when you get to that level of detail and then you now you hear a designer say, well, it really, it's really got to be presented this way or we're developing the application or this animation really should flow this way and it's not natural. It helps you as a developer have a much greater appreciation and that mutual respect should occur as well. Um, you know, so the designer doesn't just say, oh, it's just a few lines of JavaScript, right. isn't it, right? Yeah. So. Now, something that's, I was talking to some people at the booth here about last night, and, and you're, you're kind of hitting on it, is the, the role of an integrator. And, and I've heard some of the people say, like, you know, integrators are nice, but they don't really scale, and there's so few of them right now. And how important do you think it is to, to have that type of person on your team? I, I think it's important to have that, skill. I don't know if it's necessarily always going to have to be a separate person, right? Um, and, and as this user experience wave kind of ramps up in organizations, you know, we'll probably start seeing more investment in literal uh, individual people as those roles. But I think right now there's very few organizations that have a designer, a developer, and an integrator as three distinct people. You know, the, the jack of all trades that's very, uh, exists in every organization. But the, having someone with the skills or that is serving the role as the integrator, I think is very important, especially in, in XAML development. We talk about these workflows of being able to take a design comp, uh, you know, import it into Blend and making sure that design becomes this iterative process. Meanwhile, the developer's doing all the code and how do we, you know, this separation of concerns. So if you, if you are following that methodology of separation of concerns and, you know, XAML and, and ViewModel, again, ass assists with that very well, um, then I think that role of the integrator is, um, is essential to make sure that the integrity of the design and the user experience is met, as well as the integrity of the functionality of the code is met. And I think that's the key role of, um, of the integrator. So I think it's important. It is an investment. It's an investment that organizations probably uh, haven't made in, in quite some time, but I think it's essential to a successful long-term uh, application. Because that's the person who can speak both languages. I right. mean, they live in both camps. Right, absolutely. It's, it's you know, again, it's, it, it's going to be the person that's probably not the best executor in design and maybe not be the best coder, but has a balance of both. And, and I think usually what I've seen so far is actually an integrator is more of a senior person. Um, and I think that, you know, I think that's accurate. You know, usually someone who has a little, a, a foot in both camps um, is usually a senior person as well. They've been around for a while. They've seen that, yeah, they've got some battle scars, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Well, cool. Thank you very much for coming and spending time with us today. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. So that covers many of the announcements and what's new in Silverlight 4 and, and some of the things that, that Tim's been thinking about. So now let's talk to Jesse and let's let's get his perspective on not only what's new in Silverlight 4, but some of the projects that he's involved in and maybe even something that he's been doing that's caught the attention of Hollywood. Well, we're back here on the show floor with Jesse Liberty and there's been a lot to talk about for Silverlight and that's kind of your gig. And so I wanted to, to get your perspectives on what you're excited about right now. I am excited. <laughs> Good start because it's, well, first of all, finally, to you know, we've been sort of building towards this and excited about this and, and astonishingly able to keep a lot of this reasonably confidential, which is actually a good thing. I know folks are often concerned about the confidentiality, but this way, when we say, here's what we've got, it is what we've got, and it's very solid. And um, Silverlight 4, for me, is a huge release because there's an emphasis on line of business not just media. I mean, the media is very solid. There's some solid additional media pieces to it. But I think there was a risk that we were seen as very much a uh, media development product as opposed to a software application development product. And the line of business uh, capabilities and enhancements are so real and so immediately tangible and usable that I think that's going to have a huge impact as people begin to internalize how this all comes together and the coupling with WCF RIA services and the ability to move data in and out of Silverlight applications, have multi-page applications that are very, very uh, professional, solid, work well with design and you know all the other tools. All of that sort of comes together to start thinking about using the term application instead of pages or widgets or controls. It's a very amazing experience given it was only, I think, two years ago that, you know, <laughs> we were like, okay, what is this thing and how does it fit into yeah. an HTML page? So, so it's been, the, the pace has been unreal and the developers just blow my mind. Well, here, here we are at Silverlight 4 and this would be like, as fast as you guys are getting it out, this would be like anybody else's like 2.0 release. I, I am astonished and, and I can boast about this endlessly because I didn't do a thing. You know? <laughs> so so it's, it's really easy. But I went to... Mix 97, so that was March 97, when it was, we're announcing the first beta of this new concept of Silverlight. And in fact, that was what brought me to Microsoft. I, I think I've told you the story, so yeah. I won't repeat, but very basically that was a seminal event in my life. And I looked at it and said, wow, boy, this has potential. And if you'd asked me then, I would have said, and you describe what we have today, I would have said, wow, if we could get there in five, six years, that would be like blistering you know <laughs> what is it two and a half years later right. it's like I, these guys just amaze me and uh you know i've managed software development teams and uh i now realize i was clueless because i cannot imagine getting that many people with this many features into this kind of process with this level of quality testing it's just phenomenal i mean i think they've done an amazing job so i about how many people are on the silverlight development team anyway I think three. No, I, I actually, have, <laughs> I'm sorry. I, uh, quite a few. I don't, I don't know the answer. And they're all named Bob. They're all named Bob. They're yeah. all, all named Dave. Too yeah. many Daves. Um, in terms of actually working on the, the development, you know, one of the problems would be, well, what's inside that box and what's outside? The core, you know, there's the core development, there's the UI, there's the whole RIA group, there's, there's uh, folks who are working on um, ancillary pieces that integrate with it and building on it. So I, I wouldn't yeah. go venture, I guess. I can tell you that, um, on my little group, uh, more accurately Scott Hanselman's group, 
Tim and I have been working very closely with uh, a new hire in in the evangelist group, John Papa, who um, he needs no introduction, he's yeah. amazing, and Adam Kinney, who I think right. is you know huge in the community. The four of us have been working closely over the past six weeks or so to make sure that when this hit, as Goo was making his announcement, we were able to say, and the video that just explains that is now there, and this is now there, and this explanation is now there, and here's how you look, so that we didn't have any latency from announcement to the material folks needed to get going, and that was a blast. Well, and, and for people listening, if you check out Tim Hewer's blog, I forget the title of it, but it was basically like he, he, he has a very long post with links to videos and explanations of just about everything that's in Silverlight 4. So that yeah. must be... Tim, Tim here's blog is uh, blogs.silverlight.net.blog slash Jesse Liberty. That's, that's Tim here's great blog and you should go there right away because everything you need is there. You can find his blog, my blog, everything. One of the great things we've been able to do is to say if you don't want to memorize 100 URLs, all you need is silverlight.net because everything is there. If you do like memorizing 100 URLs, I'll give you one more, which is silverlightgeek.me, which I bought up because it was too much fun. Yeah. And, and my wife says you should get it's all about.me, yeah. which you know, <laughs> I think is a good idea. <laughs> and inside the business logic, you do me.focus. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. That's exactly right. So, um, you know, somebody last year walked up to me spontaneously and said, you know, I think Tim here is PDC and you're tech ed. And I've been trying to figure out if that's a compliment, but, I, you know, I can go with that. Tim has been a phenomenal resource in getting into the deep technology that he has a very straightforward style. I think people really like what he's putting out in, in his blog. I've been, uh, rather than trying to duplicate that, I've been turning my blog into uh, a fair percentage of my blog is mini tutorials so that we can meet the needs of folks who'd rather look at it through a video and meet the needs of the folks who'd rather look at it through a mini tutorial. One of the very exciting things that we were able to time with the release is we managed to put together a what will be now officially an open source project on CodePlex uh, for building a Silverlight Hyper Video Player. And we are super excited about that. And my goal is that that's going to become very real very quickly and hopefully with a lot of community involvement and spinning out, here's how we're building a real-world application with videos and tutorials that capture pieces of that, of how you take Silverlight and build this application that will then actually be used for more videos in the community. So right. it's just the synergies, pardon the expression, are phenomenal. <laughs> So for those who don't know, tell us about what the Hyper Video Player is. Oh, great. This is my, like, one of my favorite things to talk about. <laughs> um, the easiest way to approach this is with a scenario, which is you're watching one of our instructional videos. And in that video, I mention VIA services. And you're not quite sure what I mean. So you click on the link that appears that says VIA services, and the video you're watching pauses, and our video on VIA services comes up and you watch enough of that to get the context or all of it or however you like and then that closes you go back to the video you were in so that's so the it's in, in the same window it it will probably not be in the same window it'll probably be in a second window so that you have that context but n none of the UI design has been finalized core functionality is that you can link to other videos you can link to other resources blog settings and so on that will be one key piece. The second key piece is that in the video, when it begins, you'll see a table of contents so you can move 
internal links. Yeah. So you could say, okay, I don't need to know about that book that I'm interested in, let's go right there. Right. Or let's go back, or however you want to do that. Or, hey, you should check this out and be able to tell someone, you know, when you open it up, the second thing you talked about, the third thing is this, and you can link and go right there. And how this will grow and evolve, you know, that's, right. that's an open question. It's also going to be an open source project. I'm talking a lot with the MEF folks about using the MEF extensibility to be able to say in an open source project, we want to be able to have a very easy way for people to build pieces that work perfectly with this, are part of the application if they're in, and the application exists if they're not. Right. Right? So you can, it, it's one of the things that I, I, have to, I have to diverge slightly. We have been talking about end-tier development for 10 years. And I would argue with all respect that many of the Microsoft tools, despite talking about end-tier, fostered a whole lot of two-tier applications. I mean, we sort of, and a lot of us would pay lip service to the three-tier, and sometimes we'd even build three-tiers, but that middle business tier never really quite did anything, you know? So it was like, there was the UI, and then there was the data, and there wasn't a whole lot in right. between. In, between Silverlight 4 and RIA services and the uh, data entities and all of these things coming together in .NET 4, I honestly believe now that the path of least resistance is at least three-tier, where you have the UI very well decoupled from the business logic and the business objects very well decoupled from the database. And that, I think, is, is going to be extremely powerful. If math flourishes in a way to decouple each of the component functionality pieces, now you have extensibility and maintainability in a way that I don't think we've really seen before. If we're doing that in Silverlight, which is something delivered over the internet in a browser, and then now with our new elevated permission level where you get all of the access to the de desktop, I mean, right. this is <laughs> these are almost hard to really get your head around. Right. It takes a little while to assimilate the kinds of changes we're talking about. So, yeah, I'm, I mean, I, you asked me what am I excited about. I, a whole lot of stuff, <laughs> you know. Well, yeah, it's going to be amazing to see what grows out of all this because it's just the type of functionality that people have been wanting for a long time and probably not really realizing that they were going to be able to get it at least anytime soon, you know? Well, I think the proof of that is that one of the features that came out in 4 is printing. And had printing been announced as a feature, it would have been the central lead headline for people who care about this stuff. And it hasn't been, not because printing isn't mind-blowingly exciting and great and something people have really wanted, but it's just, you know, when you have so much going on, and, and this is really such a significant release with additional functionality in so many areas, printing is very exciting, but it's it's kind of one of the, right. and, and I feel bad for the guys who worked on printing, because they really <laughs> should be, you know, getting an ovation when they say, oh, and we have printing, and in Goo's presentation, you know, it was, there was so much there. I think folks were, well, first of all, they were recovering from the shock of the free yeah. laptop. There, there is that. But, but I was really wondering why they didn't announce that at the end. But uh. Yeah, well, don't get me started because yeah. I covet, but that's, <laughs> that's neither here nor there. I, I confess to coveting one of them. And, and that was a brilliant, brilliant move. But, and I felt bad for him coming on after that. Although he is, I have said often about Scott Guthrie that he's the only technical guy I've ever seen getting a standing ovation before he speaks you know <laughs> so I think people in the community have really kind of adopted him in a, an amazing way and well-deserved way because he's just a blast and but returning something to my point <laughs> there were enough things up on those slides of new functionality and new features that 
it was hard to pin one as, okay, that's the key news story on Silver Lake. I think if you, if you take just a slight step back, it goes to what I said at the very beginning, which is there's a whole lot of line of business pieces here. I would have made and did make the argument that line of business was very doable in three, arguably in two, but in four, it's a natural fit to build a real application around that. It's more native. I mean, you probably would have needed some three third-party controls to make it happen. Or you would have, or you would have, God help you, written well, yeah. some some code. Yeah. You know, <laughs> which it would, you know, kind of scary. Thought. You could do that, I guess. <laughs> you know. If you're a developer or something. Yeah, propeller heads, you know how we are. (laughs) One of the things that I've observed over the past um, years of programming is that uh, we have kind of a character defect that we will write and work for eight hours to save ourselves doing something for 10 minutes if it seems like it should be automated. (laughs) I've totally done that. Right, absolutely. So, So... there's a whole bunch of things. Let's let's talk really specifically for a minute is um, I think for me some of the exciting features at the UI level there is much more leveraging of the of the visual state machine and you see that in the way we deal with data validation uh, the way we deal with um, the way RIA services and the I uh, notify error info allows you to have a business object that where the validation and logic is server-bound, but tightly integrated into Silverlight, one object that lives both on the server and the client with the same logic and showing in the UI. And how do we show in the UI? Well, we trigger a new state that the Visual State Manager manages, so all of the ways that you modify that template, that and everything, hasn't changed. So it's grown there. The other place that you see, and this is a small thing, is what's called the uh, fluid UI, which allows you to have in a list box, when you add to a list box, have it float into position. Well, the way that was managed was by creating new states for the list item. And I'm about to blog about that. And it's very easy. I mean, it's about you know two minutes of code to say, rather than when I take this item and add it, I wanted to have this visual effect. All you're doing is keying on either the unloaded or the preloaded or the loaded, those are probably not the right exact terms, so forgive me, it's only been a day, but yeah. (laughs) yeah. And so I, you know, I took the loaded and put it into blend and the states come up and you click on the state and you open the timeline and you say, okay, the the whole list item is going to start out at Y200 and over the, and and with uh, uh, opacity of zero. And at one second, it's going to be at opacity of one, fully Mm -hmm. opaque, and it's going to be back in its position. And that's it. I'm done. It, it generates out the XAML to make that storyboard. And then when you add, it says, oh, I'm loading. Okay, I run this storyboard. Boom, and you get that animation, and it's just painless right, and, right. and very cool. Right. So, But what's key to me is that features that were released in 2 and in 3 that had intrinsic value are being leveraged and in ways that make expanding Silverlight and adding all these features and enhancements natural, organic, easily taught and understood because there builds on what's already there, as opposed to everything being invented special case. Right. So that, that I think is great. Now when you're talking about um, the, the data annotations and working with Iron uh, Info, um, do you see anything akin to dynamic data coming to Silverlight soon? You know, my experience is that every prediction I've ever made is wrong, <laughs> and I'm not alone in that. <laughs> um, so what I will say is that um, I, I think you can almost always predict 
what is going to be in the next release of Silverlight by asking half a dozen Silverlight programmers, what is it you need most? And, and people were asking me, what's in four? And of course, I couldn't, I would be very straightforward. You know, I would love to answer you, and I also love my job, so I'm not going to. But if you sit down and get together with a couple other Silverlight programmers and make a list of what you need, we're pretty good about that'll be in. And in fact, if you looked at the numbers that they talked about of, you know, 70% of the suggestions are in this release right, yeah. and so on, um, it is, it, the list of new features is not very far from what you might have predicted. I think what, you, what no one predicted was we would have it here, a beta at PDC. I think that, I hope, took some people <laughs> and they said, whoa, that was pretty cool, because I certainly wouldn't have predicted, I mean, I, my money would have been on mix, right? That's the kind of the cycle people have been on. And uh, as a author, it, it gave me the willies. <laughs> you know, you guys got to slow down, you know? <laughs> well, you know, publishing isn't quite that fast. So. <laughs> but it's a blast. And, and, and the reaction has been just phenomenal. And, and one of the cool things about being in PDC and being the so-called Silverlight geek is that folks want to talk about it. So I spend four days where people are coming up to me and talking about it, which is a blast. And then I go home thinking people are going to do that. And, of course, nobody's going to do that. You know? It's like, you know, who are you going to go away? Stop talking to me about Silverlight, you know? Is that Silverlight something used to clean dishes? or yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Although I did have an extremely cool moment. My daughter called me up from her dorm with a room full of college students. And she said, uh, we're watching Netflix and this, and it wants me to install Silverlight, and that's something you have something to do with, right? <laughs> <laughs> so she said, what do I do? And I said, you say yes to install it into your browser, and then you watch. Right. And, and she said, and, and a father just stops cold, she said, cool. <laughs> <laughs> so that was great. <laughs> that's very awesome. Oh, I wanted to go back to um, the HVC for a second. Is that what? HVB. HVB. And um, there was something that you did on your blog, and you talked about being able to do um, closed captioning as well, and Marley Matlin picked that up. Tell it us about was, that. Yes, this was extraordinary. I, in one of my early blog posts when I was playing with the idea of hypervideo, the expression encoder will emit a player, and it has closed captioning. And I, as I was sort of stripping down the player, blithely took out closed captioning, which was absurd because, you know, I've been actually have uh, personally a, a bit of a history of commitment to the deaf community. My daughter is fluent in ASL and had an incredibly inspiring teacher, who, actually two teachers, who were strong commitment to the deaf community and she performed in a, uh, a deaf theater group. My daughter performed in a deaf theater group and we got, I got to go to a festival for, for deaf culture. So you would think I would have some awareness not to do that. But no, I'm an idiot. So anyway, so when we were uh, getting ready to do the spec on the hyper video player, which is for me truly, you know, it's kind of the center of what I'm doing now. And so I could easily go off on that tangent, but staying with what you asked just for the moment, um, I got an email from somebody saying, how do you feel about putting the closed captioning back in? And that was one of those, you know, you hit yourself in the head, duh, of course. And so I wrote a very short blog post saying um, it was very foolish for me to have taken it out, and I make a commitment that it will be in and it will be functional as soon as, you know, we can make that so. And it happened to time with Mary Maitland getting ready to go to Congress to talk about accessibility. And she, I don't know how, picked up on that blog post and retweeted it to 
the world saying at Jesse Liberty of Microsoft says and it was like wow <laughs> I mean first of all she's a hero you know she's right. phenomenal I think her from starting with with uh, please I hope I get the right name of the movie was it Children of a Lesser God no I may have the wrong number anyway whatever her movie was which if I still had a memory I could tell you was brilliant and then her role in on TV in, in the uh, West Wing and just you know who she is and how she is she's just such a great person and the when she posted that, I mean, I wanted to make a blow up of that and send that to everybody I knew, you know, it was like, wow. So uh, I think that actually makes a commitment on my part once yeah. she has said that, you know. People will be watching now. Uh, you know, if she contacts me and says, I'm holding you to that, I, actually, if she calls me up and says anything I, and, and conveys anything, any information, you know, just having contact with her is a blast. But yes, absolutely. Hold, hold my feet to the fire on that because... First of all, it's the right thing to do. I mean, set aside her celebrity and my being sort of odd. It is the right thing to do. And Silverlight does it well. It's built to do that. And we ought to be showing that. And part of the whole premise of the Hyper Video Player is that it is has at least two roles. One is we're building something we want to use for conveying our own information. But secondly, the process of building it is going to spin out videos and tutorials on how we build it. And part of best practices is thinking about accessibility, building accessibility, committing to accessibility, that's super important. And we're going to do that. And we're going to make that work. So, Now, all the stuff that you've mentioned about the player, is is that all done on the server? Like, the, the links and showing up? Like, it, did, is it done at encoding time? Okay, or so let me tell you what I'm thinking about design. Now, remember, this will be open source, and folks are going to be helping me... Um, improve at least if not completely redesign but but the core concept is that rather than having the markers have intrinsic meaning what I would prefer is to decouple the meaning of the marker from the marker itself markers are just um, uh, metadata that can be point in time reference exactly and you could inject them into your media in any number of ways. An easy way is with expression encoder, but there are many things that do that. And typically what, it, what you get back is an event is raised when a marker is hit, and you get, here's the time at which it was hit, here's its name, which may have intrinsic meaning, and you may also get an image if you want to do chapters and so on. What my thinking is, is to put essentially a heartbeat of a marker here, a marker here, and I don't know what that time interval is. Maybe it's every second, every two seconds, every ten seconds, I don't know yet. And then have separate from that some database and initially I think we'll go with an XML file and a SQL server database but essentially it's very straightforward what's in there is here's a marker what type of marker is it so the three types I can think of instantly are it's a table of contents marker it's a link marker which takes you to more information or it's a caption marker because you're going to respond to those differently and then now you know the time and you know what type of marker it is, the database can tell you what you're doing with that. So are you opening a link? Are you pausing? You know, what are you doing? So what will happen is that the media player will raise an event. I've hit a marker. The player will pull forward which marker, get that data out, and then do the right thing. Either put up the link or whatever it's going to do. This allows us that after we've produced the video and published the video, if we're watching or getting feedback that that part is confusing, I need more information, we can add that information without touching the video, which is very exciting. So I think that'll be a really cool use of enhancing our videos, giving them the kind of hyperlink information that we have in documents, 
and tying them into our documents and being able to make that. Now, down the road, I've had this kind of half-baked idea of what I've been calling the video wiki, which is, okay, so we've got all our links, and you look at that and you say, yeah, that's good, but it's targeted at the general Silverlight developer. I'm going to build a set of links that's targeted at Silverlight developers who work in um, the open source community with dynamic languages. And you build a whole different set of links, wow. right? And now when you get the video, you could choose, I want that set of links or I want this set of links. Or, you know, I like Craig's sets, his are better, right. you know, or whatever you want. That's down the road a piece, right? Yeah. But, but it's nice to have sort of a, a path that you might be hitting. Another idea is to make the whole piece, of course, it's going to be modular, make that whole piece be a plug-in into other piece, other applications. And the first one that comes to mind, and again, there's no commitment here, I haven't looked at it, but it would be great if we could figure out how to make that work with LiveWriter, would be very exciting. Again, these are all sort of blue sky ideas, sure. but I do think we can get to a functional, working, useful player quite quickly because the, the Silverlight pieces fit together to do this really well. And I've been talking to the MEF guys and using that for extensibility and managing an open source plug and play, this is sort of coming together really, really nicely as a possibility. So yeah, I'm very excited. So uh, give it to us one more time. If people want to watch the evolution of that, uh, where are you going to send them? Okay, it's going to be on CodePlex, but the place to go to follow this will be actually my blog. So the easiest way to get there, you can go, certainly go through silverlight.net, or you can go to silverlightgeek, as one word, .me. So I just want to say a big thanks to Jesse Liberty and Tim Heuer. These are the go-to guys when you want to learn Silverlight. Make sure to check out their blogs and check out the show notes for any of the links of the, the resources that we've talked about. This is Craig Shoemaker, and until next time, I'll be talking to you later. Pixelate Radio, on the web at getpixelated.com. That's getpixel, the number 8, ed.com. All rights reserved, copyright 2009. Infragistics. On the web at infragistics.com.